Awesome. Hey, everyone. Welcome to 12 Questions. This is Anna Valenzuela. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Very excited. It's a cloudy day here in Los Angeles. Yes, we do have them. And uh, I'm very excited to introduce my co-host for today, Mr. Dave Yates. Hey, everybody. It's, uh, they call it the June gloom, even though it's May. So that's Los Angeles weather for you. <laughs> Yeah, it gets pushed back every year with global warming. What? The Earth yeah. is cooking. Could you read us uh, that beautiful clarity statement? Sure can. Welcome to 12 Questions. We're a podcast where we believe that growth and recovery isn't just for clean and sober people. Our mission is to share our experiences with guests who do the same. We're not affiliated with AA, NA, or any other 12-step organization. 12 Questions has absolutely no opinion on the use of drugs or alcohol by anyone. We're simply two people that happen to be in recovery that want to give hope to anyone struggling. Although some of our guests may be clean and sober, some of them are not or choose not to divulge. The purpose of the podcast is to learn more about ourselves and others. We only hope that you can learn something about yourselves by listening. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. And I'm really excited because this guest, I have, it's very funny. We've, we have very similar circles. Like we, everybody I know knows you, which is amazing. And the one time that we met, you were always on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> you were sleeping. You were sleeping on Kristen's couch as a comic is wont to do. And uh, so who are we speaking with today? Uh, me? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm I'm so sorry. We have you introduce yourself. It's crazy. Kay Willett, yay! Super hey. funny. Hey, Willett. Podcaster, amazing human, queen of Twitter. Very excited to have you here. Well, I'm very excited to be here. And yeah, I do remember that because um, I was sleeping on your roommate's couch um, when I was visiting Los Angeles. And uh, I saw you, you know coming and going I think you had like late spots and maybe we're also seeing someone and I was like she's killing it you know like really. <laughs> we were in the door at 2 p 2 a.m it's you know it's not she's not a loser in any way you know here I am sleeping immediately after my show so I was no. proud of you we yeah. were just we were ships in the night I was looking at you sleeping immediately after your show and being like what an adult I'd well I think because I was on east coast time too probably yeah because I was yeah. visiting from New York, and so my my internal clock was a little bit like, okay, it's my bedtime. <laughs> it is, and people... That, that, that three hours is the worst. That three hours yeah. is the worst when you're traveling. Yeah, yeah. and people don't... Um... People don't give enough credit to how exhausting Los Angeles can be as a place. The traffic is really just, like, so stressful for me. Like, it's part of the reason I moved out of L.A. is because I just hate being in the car and sitting in traffic so much. <sighs> Yeah, yeah. I actually missed it throughout the pandemic. I did a road gig the other day and I just fully had a blast listening to music and driving and singing like an idiot. It had been it had been so long. I missed it. Who knew? So I don't know. Okay, let's get into this. Uh, what now? I love your Twitter handle right now. You're like what you're calling yourself on Twitter. Can you like share that with you really quick? Oh, child free sober wine mom. <laughs> you are, you are capturing. That covers it. That, that covers it. <laughs> you're capturing the vibe. Let's get into it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't particularly, I'm not a person that, uh, 
is particularly affiliated with like being child free or something like I might have a kid at some point in my life right. and I also don't I don't generally identify as as sober that because it means so many different things to so many different right. people but I do feel like if you want to know what my vibe is it is the vibe of a child free sober wine <laughs> <laughs> get yeah. this woman a minivan um yeah <laughs> all right so uh how do you with with that being just like your vibe your ubra like how do you experience surrender in your life so i feel like surrender for myself is like when i need to surrender on something i say to myself like okay well what if this is happening exactly the way it's meant to but then sometimes when stuff is like too fucked up i just have to go this is what's happening this is what's happening right now and you know like i mean you can change stuff but not like you you can only change things if you like accept it as you know as it currently is i think you know mm-hmm. it's trying not to be so for me i guess sur- surrender is not being in resistance to reality um even the current reality that i want to change if that makes sense okay a lot of a lot of people will do the is what it is that's uh what what i what i hear from people some people yeah, it is, is what, what it is. is i like that one yeah yeah, yeah. i uh there kurt vonnegut uh has in one i think it's slaughterhouse five uh this moment simply is and that that to me sits a little better where i could just like i could isolate it you know because sometimes, like, when I say is what it is for me, it feels like when some people just say progress, not perfection, yeah. and move on, you know? So, like, I, I, I like just isolating the moment to let it go, you know? That's that's what I've been working on, surrender lately. Yeah, I, I also really like the phrase, this is from, I think, Tara Brock, it's not a recovery phrase per se, but radical acceptance, to me, that's, like... I, I love listening to Tara Brock's podcast. She's a like a Dharma teacher, but mm. very, you know, very accessible. Um, and I, I'm like, I, I surrender and acceptance, I guess, are not exactly the same thing, but they feel like they have a lot of similarity to me. Well, yeah, I think that without surrender, acceptance is impossible. Mm-hmm. And um, there is one of the byproducts of surrender is acceptance. So it's like the, the feeling that immediately precedes that is like, okay, I surrender. This is for me, the phrase is, well, this is where we're at. Like that's just a big smile on my face. This is where we're at. You know, world's on fire around me. Here we are. (laughs) It's it's the, this is fine dog with the coffee cup and the, and the, the, (laughs) The, this is fine dog. When I saw that, I was like, are you my spirit animal? Like, what are you? Like that is, uh, that's very much where has just how I feel on the inside most times because every time. So awesome. Because every time I try to put the fire out, it just gets bigger. And I'm like, okay, well, here we are. Let's just yeah, let's I put, just let I this put the fire burn. out with a uh, with a flower can of gasoline. Ah. Like, I think this is watering the garden, but this is not watering the garden. Exactly, exactly. So I I I, I get it. It's like those two things come hand in hand, and um, I you know, for me, surrender and acceptance often come right when I'm having like the most insane moments in my life, uh, whether or not they're good insane 
or bad insane um, or insane in the membrane or insane clown posse uh yeah yeah insane clown posse could you imagine having like an yo, insane clown posse good. moment yo they're good these days i mean have <laughs> you seen the work that, have have you seen the work they've been doing for the public ICP yes. has done more for humanity in the pandemic than most humanitarians. They've been whoop whooping their way into everybody's hearts, making sure people are fed and clothed. That's wonderful. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think they're just sending Fago everywhere. They're actually throwing money <laughs> at social causes. That's that, beautiful. Yeah, them and Guy Fieri. You know what I mean? They're doing what. Love me some Guy Fieri. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed if you're if you're listening to this and uh, and you're thinking to yourself like, let's say you're a celebrity. Let's say you're a comedian who makes a gajillion dollars or has had specials that have gone into the middle. Are, are we saying like, let's say you're a celebrity listening to this podcast? Yes, yes. <laughs> let's let's go down this road. Listen, let's, Tom let's, Cruise. Let's dream big for ourselves, Dave. Let's do it. So here's the deal. So let's say let's say you're obviously because we have so many famous fans, but let's say you're a famous human. Just understand that people notice when you do good things out of the kindness for your, of your damn heart for folks. Yeah. People also notice when you do selfish ass shit in the name of self-perpetuation while others are right. suffering. Like the Imagine video? Yeah. Yes! <laughs> oh, it's it, it, so much has happened that we forget about that. So much has happened that we, we have, we've since forgotten the Imagine video, but here uh, it is again. Oh, never my forget. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag never forget. Never, is that, yeah, yeah, that's the new never forget, never forget the Imagine video. Imagine if we forgot. Okay. Um, no, uh, my roommate, uh, Brandy, has been out watching the Fast and the Furious movies with a group of people every Friday. And uh, Gal Gadot is in that. Oh, and, shit. Yeah, and I forgot she's in, like, four of those movies. And every time I see her, I think of the Imagine video. That's how, that's how powerful that video was, is it ruined... <laughs> It somehow became more distracting than um, cars jumping through skyscrapers. Yeah. So, all right. We have digressed. We have. That's gone. insane. That's well, that insane. was an insane That's... digression. What's been the most insane moment you've had in or out of recovery? So I thought about this and I was like conflicted on because there there's like good insane moments and then there was like bad insane moments and either I, but, either will do but if i'm truly answering like the most insane moment like uh it was probably back in like 2019 um i was dating someone and we had like recently broken up and um you know like a, a couple days before um, and, uh, I got a phone call from a mutual friend of ours that he had unexpectedly died. And then like all of a sudden I was in this reality with my friends who were like, we don't know like how to deal with any of this. And I think for me, you know, kind of like when, you know, kind of thinking about like recovery and stuff, um, one of the things was that re really like I really felt in that moment is like there's there's absolutely like no way to to get through this moment yeah. but like in retrospect you know it's been a couple years and like the way 
that I got through that moment and my friends did is we like really relied on each other and talked to each other and like were there for each other and you know like I guess I just think like you know one thing about like recovery like in or out of it is that like we really do get through like the tough tough shit like with other people it's like something that you you know if you're like i can't do this alone like we literally can't you know um so that was what came to mind yeah and grief is i mean we talk about this on the podcast uh me me and anna are both members of the dead dads club so you know and that's that was my most recent yeah we're we're dabbing up the dead fathers uh um but that's i mean that's the thing it's just like any recovery literature that you ever read there's there's nary a chapter and like this is what you do when someone you love dies yeah handle it handle it and and it's it's just such a it's such uh for it's just such a pisser it's like it's you're left with just a bunch of tools that you don't know how to use to fix a problem that you've never experienced yeah there are some books that um, in there are some recovery books that do tackle grief. However, grief is just an uncomfortable conversation. And when something like that happens, especially in a community, um, folks try to we talked about this with our last guest. Uh, folks try to make sense of things in a way that's really crazy. So like when my mom died suddenly, I remember I went to. I went to the sheriff's department because I was convinced that my I was convinced that my grandmother might have killed her a little bit. <gasps> oh, wow. And oh, I went. News. Yeah, I this went. Is, this is new trade of crazy grandma we haven't heard. <laughs> yeah, I was a little convinced, and I went to I went to the sheriff's department, and they they spoke to me, and they were so kind. They said this is really common, actually. It's very common for people to, um, in a state of grief, try to make it to pin it to somebody or to make it something that they can kind of wrap their heads around rather than people unexpectedly die. And it, it is so hard to, it's so hard to digest. And there was a phase and, and I, I, I've talked about this on the pod and in my act, there was a phase where I kept dating men that died, like date, like one of them a couple of days after my, after our first date. And so I totally get there's this sort of like, how did this happen? And how other people react to it is always weird. <laughs> and you're just like, you're like, I'm in a state of grief, but it's complex because that's a relationship that that had changed, you know? So I, I can only imagine like what was like as you were going through that, like what was your support like? Were people were people there for you or like what was going on with that? Yeah, people were really there for me, um, and um, yeah, a lot of us who were friends with him were, uh, you know, just really close with each other, we just mm-hmm. hung out, like, so much. That was one of the things that was felt hard in the pandemic, right, is because, like, the pandemic was, like, this, it was grief, but it was also, like, grief and isolation a lot mm-hmm. of the time, or, like, talking to people on Zoom, and I was just, like, you know, I know people that lost folks very close to them um, in 2020. And that was a thing where I'm like, how do people do that? Because I thought like, there's like absolutely no way I could have gotten through this without being able to like, have people around me all the time that like knew what I was feeling. But you know, people, 
every time every time there's a thing that's like oh my god there's no way to do this like the way to do it is just day by day you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We're, we're all we're all jeff goldblum's really life yeah. finds the way <laughs> well and that that takes a tremendous amount of decision making on your part to just be like you know what we're walking through this you know because well, yeah, when you were talking about surrender, that is kind of like, because I had this moment where, like, it was maybe, like, five days after, and I thought, like, man, like, I'm, like, being, like, emotionally, like, annihilated right now. I will not exist yeah. in the same way after this. Yeah. yeah, But then there was an acceptance of that, like, oh, yeah, I will not exist in the same way after this. I am being emotionally annihilated right now, and there is something... And, like, this Buddhist uh, minister, Pema Children, talks about this, like, mm -hmm. right now, you know, just kind of about, like, you're, like, just, like, surrendering to falling apart. Like, sometimes you fall apart and you know that you will not be uh, reconstituted in the same way anymore, you know? And there's there's a beauty to that. And there's, yeah. I thought on a social level that we would maybe all understand that, like, there are certain things that happen in groups, communities, relationships that it'll never be the same. Right. Yeah. And I thought maybe with this pandemic, a bunch of people would be like, you know what? We're not going to bring things back to normal. We're going to put things, we're going to understand that we burned it down and we're going to rebuild something that works for the moment that we're in now. Yeah. And um, man, people just love normal. Yeah, <laughs> Even yeah. if normal only works for like five people, they just fucking love it. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, people, people love normal so much that they'll just designate what currently is as normal and forget yeah. that that's not normal. Like, oh, this is normal. Like it just whatever right. makes it feel comfortable. And honestly, uh, it reminds me, there's a Ben Fold song and I think it's called Not the Same. And it's, it's like sad and story driven piano music about just horrible things that happen to people and that they're not the same after that i literally said this to a person last night in a text where they were talking to me about what, what i must have went through when my father passed away i'm like yeah i'm not that person anymore and I, I i'm starting to get into a place of gratitude that uh you know i've changed uh and it hurt and it's i'm i'm not the same person that i was because of that pain you know and it affects how i make decisions and that's okay too um, but, but Kate, after all that, uh, how do you make decisions on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, at my best and my worst, there's a big, uh, already not even my worst, like there's, there's a good version of this and, uh, the bad version of this. I would say when I'm in the, you know, not great version, the way I make decisions is just by addressing whatever immediate situation needs to be addressed of like, oh, shit, I have to put out this fire. But when when it's going well, um, uh, when I make decisions, you know, I guess I really I like I try to be like centered if I can. And for me, that looks like, you know, journaling and meditating a bit in the morning um, and, you know, just really kind of being, having awareness about what my own feelings are about situations. And then that makes it pretty easy to make decisions. But then if I need, you know, more help, if I'm stuck, then I will seek the counsel of a wise friend or two. Um, and, you know, I think asking, asking people that you really, you respect their judgment that can, that can help a lot, you know? Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I often have to defer to a few people, but what I've also learned too, this is weird. Here's a new one. Here's a new crazy one is to have just the people I defer to, but not like a hundred people I defer to. Yes. Cause yeah. there is Brene Brown talks about like, sometimes we'd like to take a survey of what everybody's opinion is of what we think we should do. But at the, at the end of the day, we have to follow our true North and and really the people in our life kind of like guide us to where that is, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So I, I totally, I totally get that. Um, well, also giving any decision consideration is progress for me. <laughs> instead of just making snap decisions yeah 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 and it's it's so funny I was thinking about this in terms of the step I'm working right now I uh I had a I lost my wallet the other day I lost my wallet and I took a deep breath and I kind of like zeroed in and I was like okay where's the last place you were and I I, I took a moment, like a spot meditation, just to be like, okay, my higher power, please give me some direction. And the immediate thought was, go across the street to the UPS store and see if you left it there. And I was like, nah, there's no way. And I searched my house for another hour and a half, and then eventually dragged my ass across the street. And sure enough, it was there. So it's oh, like, wow. yeah, so it's like taking that moment to like, listen, to just be like, oh, no, no, you knew. Oh, you knew, but you made a decision. <laughs> Whether it was good, bad, or indifferent, you made a decision because you thought you knew better, even after you already knew, right? Yeah. So it is it is fascinating. Decision-making for me, the reason why that question is there is decision-making for me is such an act of faith. And whether that faith is, you know, um, am I going to just walk my happy ass across the street and check a location off my list? or whether or not I'm going to make some major changes to my financial, emotional, or spiritual life. Like those are all things that it requires, um, a little bit of, of guidance and a little bit of, uh, self-awareness to make. So, yeah. and, and faith that not every decision I make is going to be a mistake. There were many yeah. years where I I thought every decision I ever made in recovery was a mistake. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm just moving on to the next mistake. Rather than yeah. being like, well, if it was supposed to be different, maybe it would have been. Yeah. You know? So, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it, it, what is your most interesting thing that you've learned about yourself in your journey? I can tell it like you're into the Buddhism. You're into it. I love it. What's like the most interesting thing that you've learned about yourself so far? Interesting thing that I've learned about myself. So, this is like not... I would consider this a type of recovery, but it's not. This is sort of outside the bounds of like twelve step recovery. Uh, I've really enjoyed learning about attachment styles. Yeah. Um, and my the thing that I've learned is that like I'm anxiously attached, and like so when I have thoughts that are like, no one likes me, I'm like, oh, that's that thing, and like it's just kind of made a lot of my like sort of like ongoing mental chatter like makes sense and I'm like oh I don't have to believe this like I'm I'm like this I have this type of anxiety and like 25% of people also have this it's not like not so th that's been really interesting learning about like attachment styles and like the impact and, uh, of them and I've, I've had a lot of recovery there I've been I've become like so much more um, grounded and secure in the past few years mm -hmm. by really intentionally working on that stuff yeah, it, well, it, and I, I th 
it should it should 100% be part of regular 12 step recovery like yeah. you know like a lot of the times we forget that like 12 step recovery as outlined in any of the number of 12 step books you can get like there's so much more besides drinking and drugging yeah like, it's just totally. like it's like such a small thing like the longer you do it you realize I'm like oh yeah not picking up a drink was this one thing that I couldn't do for a long time but now it's like what do I do with abandonment issues? What do I do with my mental health? Like it, yeah. it, it I just, I wish, I'm so happy you brought that up because there's so much I believe that I need to work on that's beyond the scope of, you know, one through 12. Well, I mean, every addict or codependent, I think is insecurely attached because if we were not insecurely attached, we would not be trying to, um, you know, seek, uh, security outside of ourselves with either a substance or a person. So it pertains to almost everyone in a twelve step program. You know? Right, and and for the for the listener who isn't aware of like attachment styles, um, there's actually a really good book called Attached where it explains all the different attachment styles. Uh, there's a um, so basically uh, your insecure attachment style. How would you describe that? My my own. Yeah. Okay, so I am an anxious, preoccupied attacher, and uh, anxious people are like, like if secure people are like kind of right in the middle, like yes. it's okay for them to uh, receive love, it's okay for them to give love, they feel pretty comfortable with all of it, they feel comfortable with space, they also feel comfortable with connection. I would say that for myself, I am in the zone where I find it very easy to give love but I have a very hard time receiving love it doesn't go in and I um I think because of that like sometimes I just will end up feeling like really unloved or like oh everyone's gonna take off and stuff and that for me that's what my my particular brand of insecure attachment looks like but there's also the other side of secures in the middle the other side uh is like you know, avoidance where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm independent completely. I can only rely on myself. And I have that too. Like yeah. every, all of the, like people with insecure attachment, people do have like kind of primary zones that they hang out in, but like we all move around to all the zones. You Absolutely. Know? And the goal is to be in that, um, is to be in the secure. So like secure is like a balanced person. How I always thought of it is like a secure attachment person was hugged enough. They yeah, were just hugged totally. enough and yeah. like not insulted and just like loved. And so they have, or as Brene Brown would call it, those are the wholehearted. Those are people that expect um, to be valued because they value themselves. And they have like uh, this weird uh, comfort zone with like, just like vulnerability they understand that life is uncomfortable, but they also understand that it's not a condemnation of their character. Like yeah. anytime they receive something, it doesn't go through the like, you're a piece of shit filter, right? Yeah. And exactly. so, yeah. And so, so the, uh, I, mama's an anxious avoidance. So I like to grab and then I'm like, ew. And then I just run. I'm like, ah with your ass and then I run so it's like so you like swing back and forth you got I swing the, I swing back and forth baby you take I've a dated a lot of people like that that's yeah, like I, my that's my type I bob and weave I bob and weave um and so so it's it is it's been very helpful to know those things and um 
you know, it's uh, one of my homeboys. He uh, he went to uh, he had a, a relapse. He went to he went to rehab, and when he came out, he came out with all of the attachment styles on a printout from his little therapy groups. It was so cute. So he came out with all of his attachment styles, and he was talking to his therapist, and he and his therapist was like, "You're gonna get a cat. I need you to get a cat. I at least need you to love something unconditionally, and to have and to feel that love in return, so you can feel it just a little bit." It's actually that's helped me so much having cats, you know. Exactly, exactly. This is a cat cast. We all got cats. Uh, uh, I'm still learning. I'm still learning how to love Jeffrey Pickles unconditionally. That is my 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 dumpster cat. He is a sweetheart, but he is annoying as shit. <laughs> this it's is... so nice because it's like you know my cats. They fucking destroy everything all the time. They're like they're really naughty little kittens, but. I love them so much, and I have had the thought, like, hey, what if I, what if even when I accidentally break something, I'm nice to myself about it, like right? I would be yeah. to the cat. Right, <laughs> yeah. right, nice to myself or nice to others, and that's yeah. like the whole, man. Hello there, this is Nicole Yates, host of the DigiE podcast. Join me each Thursday as I talk to all sorts of interesting people from all over the place about food and life. Because really, isn't that all that matters anyway? That's every Thursday on the DigiEat Podcast. Available everywhere you get your podcasts. And hey, DigiEat? And that is... That is the real tea. That requires some self-honesty. Um, what would you say your level of self-honesty, like, honesty with yourself, others, like, what would you say that is today? I actually think I'm pretty honest with myself, but that doesn't amount to, like, change all the time. Like, yeah. I'm usually like, oh, I'm, I'm doing my thing. Like, you know, like, I'm doing my thing where, uh, I, you know, I get... I'm chasing around, like, you know, some unavailable person who's actually, like, really not uh, going to work for me or meet my emotional needs. I'm, I'm doing that, but I know I'm doing it, you know? Wait, I love that, by the way. Yeah. When I'm single, oh, my God. I love just chasing. I love chasing a fuckboy or, at my age, a fuckman. A fuckman. To a the fuckman. edge, of, A fuckman. To the edge of the earth. I love to do it. And it's so, I, I wish, I don't quite know what it is. I don't know how to present. I know it is that anxious attachment style. It's just like, love me, validate me. Ah! Like, but like, there's a part of me that like, girl, you got to stop. You acting like, you acting like he got drugs on his dick. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had that thought the other day. Cause I was like, this guy asked me out and I could tell he was kind of like that. And, you know, I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, no one besides me can ever make me stop dating this type of guy, you know? And I'm like, why does this happen? Why am I always in relationships like that? And then it's like, oh, because I choose them and <laughs> it will only change if I don't do that anymore. But then I was like, okay, well, are, can you guys still hear me? Sorry. Absolutely. For a second. You sound great. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was like, uh, I actually want to hang out with this person. I'm not, I'm not going to stop it right now you know <laughs> so, there and so and sometimes it's just like that sometimes it's like well i was telling my therapist the other day and it's like today i make this choice and i'm aware of it i'm making it with open eyes 
and today I'm making this choice. Yeah. And tomorrow I might make a different choice, but right now, to, today is the choice that I'm making. You know what yeah. I mean? And uh, and there's some maturity to that. It also yeah. kind of takes the power away from the 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 said the said avoidant person running from affection or running from attachment in any way. Like yeah. it does take the power away from them a little bit when you're like, whatever, I decide this for right now. But yeah, but you're replaceable. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. The the thing that gets thrown around in twelve step meetings is like your picker's broken. That's, Ooh. that's what that, that's, I, I've, I've been told that in recovery, like your picker's broken. It's like my picker, what? <laughs> like this, it's just, it, 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 it reduces it to such a, like a, well, it's like a flippant thing. Like what? You just, you just pick wrong. It's like, but I feel like there's a deeper issue. Oh, there <laughs> definitely is. I don't think that the picker thing is like particularly I, yeah. helpful. I really no. think that that's one of the like stupidest things that gets thrown around at recovery because the thing is, is like. We all have, like, 25 pickers. Like, there's, like, we all have many different parts of ourselves. And usually when people say, like, oh, your picker is broken, it means, like, the wounded child in you is picking the wounded child in someone else to act out your woundedness together. But it's, like, that implies that you don't, you know, that there's no way for you, you have to... Like, you can tell when you're doing that. Like, if there's somebody that you're like, oh, I'm attracted to this person because I respect and admire them so much. We also all have that option at other times, too. It's, I, you know, it's just like, which picker, which which part of yourself? Exactly. Right. Right. From, you yeah, know? yeah. I found... But the, the rooms love those concise, like, uh, uh, cover-all phrases. Like, yeah. sometimes I, I, I cannot stand the colloquial phrases that I hear in 12-step rooms because it's just... It, 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 it's so uh, uh, reductive of the actual problem. Here is another thing that I think is like kind of stupid with regard to um, with regard to the way that like dating and like relationship recovery issues are often talked about in 12 steps. Like I find that a lot of people and okay, I don't want to be judgy because I know everybody needs a different thing, but I found, like, for myself, there was, like, this big idea of, like, oh, well, you actually have to work on all of your stuff before you are in a relationship and you have to be, like, kind of 100% sorted out. But the way that I've actually done the most growth in my life, like, mm -hmm. has often been in relationships because that's where you really see what you're up to, you know? Well, and that's what uh, I was I was yelling at my, my therapist. I have such a great therapist because sometimes I'm just like, Amalia! <sighs> like, I'm just like, I was, I was so mad at her. And she, uh, you know, one thing that she brought up is that, and my sponsor brings this up a lot, is that our, what we work out from our childhood, from our primary relationships, comes out in romantic relationships. Sometimes it comes out in work relationships, but it expresses itself in relationships. And there's just no way to work on that in a vacuum. Most yeah, people exactly. cannot do that. You have to have some feedback from other people in your life in order to be triggered in those ways. And I, you know, I have three pickers. I pick, um, I pick, uh, uh, my dad, a stoic person who, a stoic person who's prone to anger. Um, I, you know, explosive anger at times. I pick my, uh, I pick my mom, a wild dumpster fire, usually a redhead, uh, who's, you know, way into being a being a drunk and having a time you know and i pick my grandma which is a pain in my ass narcissist and it's like and it's a very interesting thing to it's like every time 
I think like, I got this. I picked a regular person. I did not pick the archetype, but I always find the archetype deep down in there. And I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> but I think it's possible. I think it is possible. And I think it is possible to understand that like, we might just be attracted to those things, but that doesn't have to define the relationship as well. You know? Yeah. I mean, like you can date someone that, you know, is kind of some lighter version of your, the thing that you do with some self-awareness yeah. and be like, yeah, we're going to work together to make this, you know, healthy and good. Like I would be, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm single right now, but I would be really surprised if the person that I connect with connected with most deeply and deeply enough to maintain a romantic relationship was like someone that was like, had a perfect life, love to walk down the street feeling confident every day, you know, like, that would be, like, very unusual, because I don't, I don't know, but, like, at the same time, like, there's a lot of difference between, like, the happiest, most secure person I've ever encountered and someone who was, like, actively trying to ruin their own life at every moment, you know, like, yeah. somewhere, somewhere in the middle of those two yeah. things, probably. Yeah, know? somebody who, somebody with a, 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 a very light, uh, self-destructive gravitation pole is the ideal maybe you know? i don't know yeah. i mean it's like it would be great if i encounter someone that is you know like like me someone that has worked on themselves a lot but i also think that like i don't know everybody has issues and i think that this kind of like idea that you know, sometimes that, like, we're going to find this person that, you know, like, doesn't have issues and then be through the process of finding them, like, you know, it, it'll, it'll all be solved with that. Like, I think right. that you can, like, if you're bringing a lot of issues, not you, like, the, the you know, editorial you, if you're bringing a lot of issues to a relationship, then, like, the relationship is going to have issues unless, like, you know, we we repair the things uh, in ourselves that are like making us insecure, our triggers, our dysfunctional yeah. communication patterns, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta try at least. We gotta try yeah. to attack some of those, um, those fears and those yeah. anxieties, the, or as I call them, the engine of the defects. Yeah. How do you, how do you um, experience fear and anxiety? Um, I think a lot of the time the way that I experience fear and anxiety is like I catastrophize a lot. I'm just like, oh God, everything's fucked up and mm -hmm. nothing will ever be good again. And like for myself, like a lot of my own growth has been like sort of like walking it back a little bit. Like, okay, mm -hmm. you know, w what's actually going on here? Like, right. is this a level 10 catastrophe or is this more like annoying? Like, can this problem be fixed, you know, even if it will take some time? So I don't know. Yeah, I'm a big catastrophizer, black and white thinking person, but trying trying to kind of at least notice when I'm doing that, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, oof, oof. I get that. I get that. And also like, it was it, probably in my first like, five to 10 years, I was like, definitely everything was a catastrophe. And then something snapped. And I was just like, is the building on fire? Are we in the ER right now? We all right. Everybody yeah. chill the fuck out, have yeah. a sense of scale. And part of that came from it, Dave, maybe you can attest to this. Part of that came from working in drug and alcohol treatment. 
it was like everybody was freaking out about the dumbest shit all the time. And I was uh, like, chill the fuck out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel I feel like I, I regressed as a person working in drug and alcohol treatment just because I was around <laughs> such insanity and such minute insanities all the time that it's just like it's like this. This is not real. Like this is like the, what we're having for dinner is not cause for throwing things across this million dollar home that we're all yeah. living in. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Like, I have a friend who is kind of constantly talking about, like, the, like, this crisis and that crisis and, like, this, you know, this is happening and then these five things are going to happen. And, you know, I had to tell her, I was like, I, I'm not, this, this thing that we're talking about right now, it's not real. It's not actually happening. Like, I I can't spend time talking to you about it anymore because it's a totally pretend and but then i realized i do that in my head to myself all the time you right. Know? <laughs> yeah right the, the, the amount of conversations i have between my ears on a given day that never yeah. see the light of day and yeah. that's kind of like that that's the helpful thing about that about recovery and making the phone calls and the whole picking up the thousand pound phone is some of these conversations that happen in my head if they don't come out with a person that I just need to vent to, that's a recovery person, they come out as as grenades that don't need to exist, you know? I completely understand and agree. Yeah, or for me, what they'll do is they'll, like, <clears throat> permeate my actions throughout my day. You know what I mean? It'll just be, like, the uh, uh, the resentments have, like, roots that go throughout, you know, different aspects of the personality and create little create little tentacles around interactions and relationships. And it's, it's one of those things of like, I, I realized recently that like, uh, in a, in a relationship of mine that like, just like holding on to the resentment itself isn't, is an active character defect. It's just yeah. like, you either hold on to it or you don't. All right. Yeah. So like, it's crazy with, uh, it's crazy with those fears and anxieties and the, and the whole thing and like the arguments in our head and the difference between dismissing the need to emotionally process. Like I had a couple of weeks there where I just had to like journal and like feel and understand the difference between that and jerking off the resentment in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what I did for years. Basically if I'm chewing a motherfucker out in the shower I'm jerking that resentment off. That's yeah, that's totally. how I know. Yeah. yeah. And so if, but if I'm like sitting there writing, contemplating, thinking about my part and we are, you know, something that you said was really, I really loved is, and it reminds me of, I just read drop the rock. I will not stop talking about it until it stops being a huge impact. Um, uh, but it has uh, our addiction to um, our addiction to drama. We as addicts love a little bit of like, yeah, it's dramatic and I get to be mad and I get to live on the the dopamine and the serotonin that comes from anger and justified resentment. It's so much fun, you know, and uh, that's what we get out of it. And I, and I honestly think with all of our defects, we get something out of it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, what uh, what defects or things about your personality are you working on right now? Like, what's what's the thing you've had the hardest letting go, time letting go of, you know? Right now, I'm working on stuff with money because money scares me so much. And I'm just like, I don't know. I often accept jobs for very much less than Mm. I am 
worth and I sometimes don't organize myself well enough. Uh, and this is like the scary one. This is the scariest one for me, maybe even more scary than uh, other relationship stuff. But I would say that like, you know, the thing that I have worked on the most in the past like couple years is like the ability to like comfort myself when I'm anxious and not have to turn outside of myself to, you know, a, a person it could be a substance and, you know, but like just kind of being able to to soothe myself in a healthy and constructive way, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I literally was just having this big blow-up conversation about comedians charging money to see comedy. Like, so, like, uh, in a nutshell, I believe that right now in the stand-up space is the perfect amount of time, perfect time for people to decide that we should all be paid money to do stand-up. Like, if you're running a show, you should charge a $5 ticket, you know. And I had comics coming out of the woodworks telling me that I'm wrong for saying we should charge something to watch stand-up comedy, you know. And it's like it, – because for a long time, I would accept jobs that, like, didn't pay a lot of money because I had this, this idea that if I said no – that the, the opportunities would just dry up like that. The universe would say, well, you didn't do this $20 gig that required eight hours round trip driving. Well, you know what? That thousand dollar gig that was going to happen. If you took that gig, it's not going to happen now because uh, yeah. you're particular about scarcity mindset. Yeah, scarcity. totally. And I think that a lot of it is like, that is, that's like the kind of essence of what I feel I'm working on is like the, the scarcity mindset, but like in all areas of my yes. life, you know, everywhere. Yes. And just how, you know, the, how the, the consequences of low self-worth actually play out in every arena, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Yes. My, that's my therapist refers to a lot of those decisions as an act of self-harm. Yeah. Like staying in relationships that don't work for you being in, you know, whatever those relationships may be like, like staying in stuff like that is just an act of self-harm because you don't feel worthy of love. Yeah. You know, and she has a cute little Chilean accent. So it comes out really funny. It's like, you don't feel worthy of love. You know, it's like very, it's very funny. So, um, but yeah, good for you, mama, getting on that scarcity mindset. It's <laughs> ass. Yeah. She don't I, need to I, be I here. think to some, yeah, some degree, like, I think that affects a lot of us that are just in, in the business that we're in, you know, is that, that it's, there's this, there's this well that's drying up, you know, and you're watching everybody drink from the well and you're just too afraid to go get your portion or that you're like, well, if I wait, the well is going to run dry, you know, and it's just not been the case. Like mm -hmm. just because someone else gets opportunities doesn't mean it. I'm going to not get opportunities. Like I have to like consciously say to myself, that's cool that that person got an opportunity, which means I could also get an opportunity Yeah, exactly. instead of like, I'm not going to get, you know? Yeah. And well, okay. So I feel like two ways about that, right? It's hard to sort of balance because on the one hand, I definitely think that what you're saying is true. And I've found it to be true in my own life. Also living under capitalism like makes us feel the exact way that you're talking about of like the scarcity because it really is true that we live in a society that like doesn't take care of people and if you are doing if you're in the arts and you're not from generational wealth and like you can actually land on your ass uh, and not be able to meet your survival needs like 
of fucking course you're scared. You should be. And so we should like, you know, it's kind of the mixture of being like, yes, like there's a type of change that we need to work for on the outside to like, you know, in, in the material realm. And also like, I don't have to wait to operate in like a a sane way until those changes are made. And that for me is like a, a hard one to balance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I go ahead. Well, I think the collision between I've, I've noticed this over the last couple of years and actually, cause I started comedy with like time in the program and I, I think that there is an inherent clash between capitalism and the spiritual principles of the 12 steps at times because there, there, are is, mo- yeah. there are moments where for the sake of my integrity for the sake of the contrary action that keeps me clean and sane i have to say no to some aspects of capitalism and some aspects of capitalism as it relates to the entertainment industry and when i have not held those boundaries i have had monetary or you know some sort of like gain from that but i haven't felt good at the spiritual cost has been bad and i'm not saying that in order to be like a 12-step person you need to be a socialist but i find yeah you will hear it from a lot of people in uh, in various 12-step recovery programs but you know i think like the, this mindset that like if you are in recovery that like your your life is is gonna be good or it's gonna get easier like I, I hope so. Like a lot of people find it that yeah. way, but sometimes it doesn't because society is really right. messed up, you know? Yeah. And when I tell, why I tell new people when they come in, I'm just like, it was never promised to me that things were going to get better. It was promised to me that things were going to get different. Mm-hmm. And that, that to me is a little bit more accurate, uh, you know, uh, uh, offering to, to someone new walking in than, than saying that the cash and prizes and look at this person's life, it got better, blah, 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 blah. Like my life was just shit and it got different when I got sober. Mm-hmm. It was still shit, but it was different. And like the different shit was better than the shit I was used to. Yeah, totally. You know? So I also have to walk around with a lot of forgiveness you know, for, for myself and for other people around me, because not everybody thinks my biggest defect that I work on is, is, is unrealistic expectations. I do it constantly. And it's probably the, the, the one that's been plaguing me the most, but like, I also have to walk around with forgiving people and myself for this defect that I have, you know, like I'm working on it constantly, but I have, I have to, I'm the, it's, I'm the worst at forgiving me. And, and that's the next question. Uh, how do you experience forgiveness, Kate? Um, so I think I'm a pretty forgiving person, honestly. I don't, like, I don't really struggle with forgiveness, except when I am in a situation where the person is, like, still hurting me. Like, I don't have, like, a lot of, like, resentments. From, mm. I'm not mad at my parents anymore i'm not like i don't hold grudges with like old friends or whatever but where it becomes really challenging is where like in the current moment the person is still is doing something and in response to their current behavior um i experience pain (laughs) you know i'm trying to like figure out how do i say this without blaming but you know um 
I guess I experience forgiveness in a way where, like, I, you know, those conversations in my head, I'm not, like, having them all the time of, like, why are you doing this thing? Like, when, you know, you should be doing this other thing that I want you to do. And if I'm feeling, like, peace about it and really the ability to, like, focus on myself again um, and, you know, also... Sometimes that requires, like, walking out of situations that aren't working. Like, sometimes if someone is, like, acting in a way that is, like, not, that is hurting me, then I have to be like, okay, I can't, you know, I have to detach from that relationship, not just emotionally and spiritually, but I also have to, like, physically detach as well, (laughs) put a boundary, you know? But usually, like, the thing that helps me find forgiveness, like if I'm having a hard time with it and I can't get back to that place of peace is like, okay, you know, what is my part, right? Like that's a tool that we have sometimes seeing our own part kind of like you see, you see like, Oh, even though this other person, what they did sucked, they, my, my own behavior didn't really give them a lot of great options, you know, Mm -hmm. but you know, sometimes like any kind of anger or resentment, it's a sign that I actually do need to set a boundary or, have some kind of communication and I can't really feel that peace until I actually do that thing. And that's a lot harder for me than like trying to find, you know, uh, what I would, what some people would call like a spiritual bypass of just like, Oh, I'm not going to actually set that boundary with that person because like I can just use meditation to like calm myself down. So I'm not upset about it anymore. When in reality, like I need to sometimes say like, actually, no, what you're doing is not, it's not okay with me. Mm-hmm. If it continues, I will not be able to be in this relationship anymore, you know? So it's tough. Yeah. Girl, girl, that is, by the way, there's always a question that I feel like we've all shown up for. And that was it. That was mwah, beautiful. I loved it. I loved it. Cause that is, that is so true. Like it is that ability to, I, I was just sharing about this in a meeting And um, a friend of mine afterwards texted me. She said, just always remember that boundaries are for you, not for the other person. Yeah. You can tell somebody what that boundary is. They don't have to respect it. You can't even expect them to respect that boundary, but you can respect it for yourself. Because I had a situation this week where I set a boundary and the first thing that person did was just be like the opposite. And I was like, damn you, you know? And at first I was like getting into that this is the first time in a couple of years with this particular relationship where the thing where I didn't feel the weight of the previous re- resentment where I was just like in this isolated incident, this was not okay with me. And I didn't feel the whole combined weight. And I don't know what that is. I think it's a seven step thing. I think it's like a, just like, you know what? You got to take this away from me, bro. Cause I can't do it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I just yeah. can't, I can't do it anymore. I can't hold this any longer. And that was the first time I was like, hey, so here's my boundary. Didn't get respected. Just letting you know. And then I just moved on to my, I just moved on because I knew in myself, I respected it. But in the past, that compounding resentment, what that creates for me is behavior where it's hard for that other person to have a lot of options. I love what you just said. Everything you just said was fantastic. I don't know why I'm commenting on it because you just nailed it. You just, <laughs> Thank you, you crushed Boy, it. Muy bueno. Muy bueno. Yes. Um, amazing. What's been the most surprising amends or apology that you've either made or received, Kate? You know, what came to mind was like, 
I had a lot of people reaching out to make amends to me, a lot of men specifically that like reached out to me to make amends kind of like somewhere in the first few months of Me Too. And they're like, I'm sorry for this moment that I had that might have creeped you out. And I'm like, I did not notice. Like, I didn't, I actually didn't think you were like, there was just a lot of men making amends to me for like things that I didn't think were really a problem I wasn't mad about, you know? But then it was just like, they feel creepy on the inside. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but then I was thinking, so a couple of things about that. One, it made me think like, oh, you know, we have these like really thoughtful men who are like apologizing for stuff that like wasn't even bad. And then like these like dudes that like actually really do have to make events for some shit, but they're not the ones thinking about it. But it also was illuminating for me because I'm like, yeah, some of the stuff that I'm like, oh, this person hates me because I borrowed you know, a shirt from them in 2014 that I didn't return. And it's like, I've been avoiding them for years. I'm like, they, they may not even know. They may not remember. May not that's be that, deal that's that anxious know. attachment yeah. style. It's, yeah. the text message, <laughs> it's the text message the day after the hang where you're like, I'm sorry I said that thing that hurt your feelings. And they're like, what are you fucking talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh. That is, Yeah. It's, it's so crazy. It's so crazy. That self-forgiveness is the hard part. I think that's yeah. the hard part, you know, when like we get into it, but uh, there's a lot of relief that comes from like a daily practice. Like what is your, yeah. what is your daily routine? Like what's the thing that keeps Kate Willett like attached to this beautiful apartment and this beautiful plane of, of existence and this, this life. So I like to do like a half hour of journaling, 15, 20 minutes sometimes and I'm, I'm having a short short on time and then like meditation like maybe 10 minutes 10 15 minutes um if i'm having a really tough time in my life i will up it and do journey journaling and meditation a couple more times throughout the day you know sometimes i let those practices go all together and then i'm like why is my life so bad right now you know <laughs> but that but but that journal that journal meditation combo in the morning is the routine that i think really works for me yeah yeah it's awesome what is your relationship with your higher power if you have one what's it look like Man, this, the answer to this question has changed so many times. I think when I first got into recovery, like, I was still really using a higher power that was, like, um, a, you know, a god that was, like, very similar to, like, the, the church god that I grew up with where I'm, like, praying to, like, kind of a scary guy. And then I was, like, what if I use, like, the universe, you know? Now I'm kind of, like, getting into, like you know, kind of witch spirituality, like the energies of nature or whatever. And I'm like, here's the thing. I don't, I've never settled on anything, but I have enjoyed the process of like engaging on the question in like many different ways. And I feel like that's what counts. Like that's when I feel like spiritually connected in, in some way is when I'm like thinking about it, you know, mm -hmm. what I'm thinking about, like, what do I believe? How am I putting this into practice in my life? It doesn't matter. It may change like 25 more times. It's not important to me to, to settle on something, but I'm really into the feminine energy of spirituality at this point, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Ooh, I love it. I've always maintained as long as it, I, I love an ever changing relationship with a higher power, because at the bottom of it all, it's just like, as long as I believe, I believe as long as someone's seeking, seeking that, that that's a sufficient higher power. It's just the seeking aspect. 
Yeah. 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 I love a questioning. I've, I've gone, I've been atheist. I've been agnostic. I've been, I don't know. I guess agnostic is the best like word to kind of call whatever my concept of spirituality is. I'm just like, I don't know what you are, but like you're, you are. And like, I, I, I always bring this up. It's the dog with their head out the window. That's my sponsor says that's proof of a higher power is every time you see a dog with their head out the window. Cause like, how cute is that? And I saw so many dogs with their head out the window yesterday. I was like, what's up God? What's up? Hey, what's up? What you doing? <laughs> so that always, that always works for me. It's, it's amazing. Um, we did it. We're at the last we question. Nice. We last crushed question. it. What is doing it? Kate, what is one thing you would tell somebody just like you in the world right now? Uh, you know, there's so many things I could say, but one thing I've been thinking about a lot is that, like, nobody has to do anything to deserve love. No one. Yeah! Yeah! Not myself, not anybody. Like, we all just, do we all deserve love and respect just for existing, you know? Fuck yeah! would even extend it to pets, you know? <gasps> yeah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love that. I but ask- it's hard to, for me to internalize that idea because I, you know, like even sometimes I'll even use like recovery or mental health stuff as a way to self-flagellate. It'll be like, oh, you know, once I, uh, you know, f- fix this defect of character or once I become securely attached, then, you know, uh, or once I'm never getting triggered by this one specific thing after all this, then I'll deserve love. And it's like, mm, no, I'm just like using... We can grow and change, but, like, without, like, using that as a way to, like, withhold kindness from ourselves in the meantime, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the ability to, like, gaslight myself is amazing. I'm like, yeah. who is she? Like, I, yeah, I totally get that. Oh, Kate, I'm so glad we had this conversation. It was so fun. Thank you. I yeah, cannot yeah. wait to on. see you in real life. Both of us standing up or both of us lying down. I well, don't know. We can sit on the couch together on we, opposite sides. Have a cup of tea. Come hang out with me and Brandy and Eagle Rock, man. We'll have I love Brandy. I love your roommate. <laughs> she, she rules. Yeah. <laughs> this is awesome. This is awesome. Uh, where can people find you and everything that you do? So I'm on Twitter at Kate Willett with two T's on Instagram at Kate.Willett. And I just wrote a book called Dirtbag Anthropology that is on Audible. Um, and I have a podcast called Reply Guys about feminism, politics, and the internet. Oh, hell yeah. I love that. I have a reply guy I haven't blocked, um, because I think I just, like, turned him at some point. I just, like, made him, like, behave. And when he does do a reply, sometimes I go, you know what? You're my favorite fucking asshole on the internet. And he just, <laughs> and he just laughs. Like, I just, I, I kind of, I was so kind to him. He had to shut the fuck up. That's so funny. <laughs> we, we might need to record this as the first time someone's mind has been changed on the social media. That's I so don't, funny. I don't this... think I changed his mind. I think I just got uh... him to shut the fuck up. <laughs> But anyway, anyway, Dave, where can people find you and all the beautiful things that you do? Yeah, you can find me at Yates Comedy, Y-A-T-E-S Comedy on Instagram and Twitter. And you can buy hot sauce from me at hahahotsauce.com. I sell hot sauce. That's how I make money. Find That's me. so fun. Yeah, I love it. Awesome. Where can people find you and this podcast? 
You can find me at Anna B is Fun on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find me at AnnaValenzuela.com for show dates. Check me out on Wednesdays. There is one, there is Zoom shows still left in the world. And uh, we're doing self-care comedy via Zoom. And we're switching to Tuesdays next month and only once a month uh, per host. So it's like everybody has a week. Anyway, whatever. I'm confusing myself. You can find this podcast at 12Q Pod um, on all the social medias. And uh, you can even email us. And we did get a listener question. We got a question. We got yeah, a question. We we need yes. 11 more 12q yes. at gmail.com if we get 11 more we can do an episode where we answer 12 of your questions guys you can ask us anything you can ask dave about his beard routine you can ask him how jeff is doing jeffrey pickles you can ask it you can ask me about my skincare you can ask me where i got my haircut i don't care just send us questions we're so excited 11 for more Yes, 11 more. Go, go, go. And um, if and how we end this podcast every time, Kate, is if nobody's told you this today, we love you. Aw, thank you. Love you, Kate. Love you guys, too. This is awesome. And Dave, if nobody's told you this today, we love you. I love you, too. And if you're listening to this and nobody's told you this today, we love you guys. <laughs>